You know, as we pray this morning, um, let's remember uh, our missionaries that are serving around the world. You know, we start and we kick off today a week-long focus and emphasis on praying for our international missionaries. There are over 3,500 of them. There are countless other personnel and people that are supporting um, these missionary families and individuals. We have friends, Christine and I have friends that are serving around the world. Some of us in the room have friends that are serving in far-off nations and countries among different people groups. But I just want to remind us this morning, church, listen, as we sing these songs about Christ, as we pray and as we remember, um, I want to just show you a, a glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. First of all, this is a glimpse of what heaven's going to look like, of us singing uh, to the Lord and worshiping Him. And listen to what it says in Revelation chapter 7, verse 9. Um, John saw this. It says, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from every tribe and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands and crying out with one loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. How awesome is that? You know, that's just one glimpse of what heaven is going to look like. But the fact of the matter is, someone and people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue, every color, every ethnic group, every culture is going to be in heaven worshiping the Lord Jesus Christ. He loves all the nations of the world. Therefore, we should, because he's put, our, he's put his love into our hearts. He's put his hearts, he's changed our hearts to, to have an affinity towards him and then we have a love towards others, not just the people in this room, but people from all walks of life. And so let's pray. Let's pray for our missionaries this morning, and let's, uh, let's just gather our hearts together and praise him for, uh, for who he is, for what he's doing, for what he wants to do um, in and through us as one small part, praying, giving, going. Let's pray this morning. Father, thank you this morning for the gift of music, the time that we have to worship you and sing songs to you. God, we know and understand this morning that you have made us a people that, Lord, once at one point in time in our lives did not have a song to sing. We did not have an understanding of who you were. We didn't understand who you were, Jesus, in our life. There was a moment in our life, God, for each of us that we were cut off from you. But we thank you this morning, God, that as we come into this room this morning, we can collectively with one voice worship you. We can collectively, as hearts gathered together, pray to you and talk to you about the things that matter to you, praising you and worshiping you and thanking you for the who you are and for what you have done and for what you will do. Lord, as we read here in Revelation 7, verse 9, God, our hearts have a hard time understanding even what that's going to look like. Someone from, and people from every tribe, tongue, nation, people group in the world, peoples that you have created, all of us in your image, all of us with the ability to know you and to have a personal relationship with you here on earth, to have that promise of an abundant life here on earth with the promise of an eternal life in heaven. It's hard for us to even imagine and understand that, but God, we believe that this morning. And Lord, if you love all the nations of the world, if you love all the peoples of the world, Lord, so we want to love the nations of the world and the peoples of the world. God, would you just transform our hearts to that end, to love the peoples of the world who are cut off and lost and living in darkness today like you do. 
Because, Lord Jesus, you came. And we learn from your word that you came to save us. You came to walk this earth, to go to the cross on our behalf, to die the death that you and I, that we all deserve, that you didn't deserve for our sakes, that we might be able to come into a place like this and worship you, that we might be able to, in our struggles, in our difficulties, come to you, and in, in, our, in, our, um, un, in, in the world of unknown, of not knowing the future, can come to you for answers, can come to you for wisdom and discernment. God, we have this personal relationship with you because of your son, Jesus. Therefore, Lord, you came to die on the cross, not just for us, but for the peoples of the world, for the nations of the world, that they might believe in you, that they might surrender their lives to you, that they might hear, that they might know. And yet, God, we know this morning that so many billions of people on this planet do not know you, and they have not heard your name they have not understood this good news of the good news of the gospel of Jesus. Which is why we pray. And which is why we give financially. It's just why we go. We thank you for the thousands of missionaries that we support that are around the world today. They're all in different time zones, Lord. And they're worshiping you in their homes small places, some larger places. They're engaged with unreached and unengaged people groups that, Lord Jesus, your name has never even been mentioned. They're ministering among people that are hurting, people that are distant and far from you all over the world. We pray for them that you would encourage them. We pray that for you to provide for them. Pray for you, Lord, to provide spiritually for them, to encourage them spiritually in their lives. We pray that you, God, would provide for them physically, that you would bless their homes, bless their families, bless their marriages, bless them as single adults, Lord, serving you at all places across our planet. We pray that you would, Lord, cause them to be fruitful and multiply. God, I know that some of them have been laboring for a long time in far-off places. They have lived in places for months and years and haven't seen very much fruit. They've been sowing seed after seed, and sometimes it's just not germinating and producing spiritual fruit. We pray that it would. We pray that you would not discourage our missionaries that are serving around the world. But Lord, that you would fill them with the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, God that you would encourage them to keep going and to keep praying and to keep sharing. Father, we pray that you, Lord, on this particular week as we kick off a week in our church of prayer, that, God, we would indeed pray for the lostness of the world, that we would indeed pray for our missionaries, that we would pray for specific needs. God, that your hand would be upon us as a church. As we consider giving financially to a greater something that is much, much, much bigger than us, much bigger than central, much bigger than us as individuals, but collectively, Lord, can have a tremendous impact around the world to put more missionaries on the field, to do the work, God, that you want to do 
And we just pray for your hand to be upon us this coming week as we pray and as we give. Lord, we pray for this time in your word. We pray that you'd open our hearts to receive the word that you want to share with us and how you want to encourage us and how you want to challenge us and speak into our life. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be here among us and work in our hearts, God. We pray for your presence, that you would manifest your presence among us. We pray for your power. We pray that, God, you would move among us, Lord, in powerful and intangible ways this morning. We welcome you, Holy Spirit. We welcome the work that you want to do in our hearts. And so we just pray that you'd open our hearts to your word today. We love you. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to the book of Isaiah. Isaiah chapter 25. We're looking this morning what I'm calling the great liberation. We're going to look at Isaiah 25, the entire chapter today, uh, this morning. I promise you it's not 80 verses long. It's a shorter chapter, but it's an important chapter for us to understand. And maybe you've never considered this in light of uh, the season that we find ourselves in when it comes to uh, our Lord Jesus and his coming and, and so forth. You ever notice that uh, around the Christmas season, every year at Christmas time, it's like we go from like nothing to all of a sudden, well, bam, it's Christmas. We have decorations everywhere. People are buying trees and they're putting up decorations and lights and we've got flowers and we've got all kinds of pageantry going on and then music changes and we start eating different things and we start doing all of these different kind of creative things right around the Christmas season. And then all of a sudden, January gives, us, gives way to, I'm sorry, December gives way to January and then all of a sudden, gone. It's like, it's all gone. And I, I don't know what, how it is, and, and maybe if you're from another nation or from, not from America, all of a sudden you show up and it's like, y'all are really into the holidays. We are, aren't we? I mean, like we, we just go from, it's like a daisy chain. We just go from one holiday to the next. And, uh, you know, in January, as soon as, as soon as Christmas ends, there's this kind of lull between Christmas and New Year's. It's kind of a weird period in the life of our nation. And all of a sudden, it's, it's Valentine's Day. You're going to see everything. It's going to be hearts and, and, you know, all that stuff all over the place, right, in January, moving into February. It's just all kinds, uh, all kinds of uh, marketing that takes place and things that we buy and chocolate and flowers and all of that good stuff in February. We just go and roll from one holiday to the next. And I'll tell you this, you know, when it comes to Christmas and when we think about the Christmas season every year, and the fact of the matter is, you know, we will put these decorations away and we will pick these flowers up and we will put all of the stuff away and our music will change and what we talk about on Sunday mornings will change from time to time. But I'll tell you what doesn't change and that is the effect of this season, doesn't it? I mean, the, the reason why we even get together on Sunday mornings in worship and hear sermons and we sing songs and we do these things is in light of the truth of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Am I right? I mean, that's why we get together. That's why we gather together as the church. That, that's why that, that, that we do what we do. Our lives center around Christ. It centers around the work of Jesus Christ. It centers around what he has done on the cross and from the grave. And not just from the cross and from the grave, but we look to the future of his return. I mean, that, that's what it's all about. That's the definition of hope. I mean, if there is no hope, then, and this world is all we have to offer us, then when we experience things like cancer and we experience the chaos of what's going on sometimes in our country or around the world, and we see all of the chaos and the heartache and the pain and the suffering and all of the things around us, and we think, this is the best, this is it? 
That's where most of the world is. Trying to claw and try to figure out life. Trying to make best of what they have. Trying to be the best moms and dads or marriages. Or trying to figure out purpose and meaning in life. That's where the majority of the world is. But for you and I, and we understand that there is a greater purpose. There is a greater thing that God is doing in our hearts and in our minds. The effect of Christmas stays. It sticks. And when the page is turned and all these decorations are put away and all the pageantry is gone, guess what we will do? We will celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ and his coming, his return on Sunday mornings and every day in the life of our church. Just will, because it matters. God's changed our hearts. He's changed our lives, and that's a message that is worth telling others about, right? And that's where we are this morning. Isaiah chapter 25, I want you to look with me at it. One of the best things that we understand during the Christmas season uh, is to remember that there is an out, there's, a, there's a powerful impact when it comes to the return of Jesus, the return of Christ. This is a prophecy that Isaiah writes. There is a um, short-term view, and then there is a long-term view of Isaiah 25. I want you to see it with me this morning. I want you to, I'm going to read it for us, and then we're going to connect the dots a little bit this morning and see how what God has to say to you and I this morning and how it applies to our life. You ready? Verse 1, Isaiah chapter 25 says, O Lord, you are my God. I will exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done uh, wonderful things. Plans formed of old, faithful and sure. For you have made the city a heap, the fortified city a ruin. The foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Therefore, strong peoples will glorify you. Cities of ruthless nations will fear you. For you have been a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm, and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. You subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, as the song of the ruthless, so the, strong of the, the song of the ruthless is put down. Oh, but he's not done. Look at verse 6. On the mountain, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine well refined, and he shall swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations. He will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces. And the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. Oh, but he's not done. Look again at verse 9. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. That's a song. Verse 10. For the hand of the Lord will rest upon this mountain. And Moab shall be trampled down in his place. A straw is trampled down in a dunghill. And he will spread out his hands in the midst of it. As a swimmer spreads his hands out to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous pride. Together with all skill, with the skill of his hands. And the high fortifications of his walls. He will bring down. Lay low and cast to the ground, to the dust. 
Isaiah 25 is a continuation of Isaiah 24. So when you think about Isaiah 25, we're kind of parachuting into this chapter. We're kind of parachuting into the book of Isaiah. But understand and understand what is God is doing here. There is a prophecy that Isaiah is coming here, and he's proclaiming here in Isaiah 25 of a coming judgment of the end. He's talking about the end. There is this final victory that Isaiah is getting at, this final victory uh, of the end when it comes to supernatural enemies that are going to come to an end, all enemies on the earth. There is a promise of destruction there is a promise of restoration. This is the long view. The long view is looking ahead, and this is Isaiah looking ahead into the future of the coming day of the Lord. When all things will come to an end, he's going to make all things right. But on the short game, in the short view, if you will, of what Isaiah is talking about, he is writing to God's people in the immediacy right here. You see, you've got to understand that at this point when Isaiah is prophesying, Israel has split into two nations. You've got the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom has far and long walked away from God. Oh, they're going through the motions. I'm moving this over here. They're going through the motions, right? They're, they're, they're trying to do religious things. They're trying to follow God. And at the same time, uh, they're, they're following themselves. They're also following other false gods, And so the northern kingdom is far from God, and as a result, what Isaiah is saying and what has from chapter 24 flowing into chapter 25 is that there is a nation that God has risen up, this nation called the Assyrians, and the Assyrians are going to come into the northern kingdom and take them away, God's people, out of the promised land. But he's also talking here to Judah, they're in the southern kingdom, and there in the southern kingdom there is a nation that is going to rise up, that God is going to raise up, called the Babylonians, and they're going to come and take God's people out of the southern kingdom and put them back into slavery. And he is talking here about the bad news, if you will. There is going to be a day of the Lord, there is going to be a day of reckoning. But you've got to understand that this Isaiah 25 is not just about the short view, it's about the long view. And with the long view, we understand that the part of the story and the the, the center of the story of all of this is the Lord Jesus Christ. And God is the one who sends his son Jesus, who has not come yet here, but will come into the New Testament, is going to make all things right. It is Jesus who is the king. We just sung about him. It's Jesus who is the one who has authority over all things. It is Jesus who is the one who makes all things right and fulfills everything from Isaiah chapter 25. And you and I need to understand this very important principle that we take away from this chapter this morning, and it's this. Jesus is our liberator. He is the one who brings liberation. He is the one who brings and makes everything right. And so during this season, I want to encourage you and I also want to challenge you. Because what Isaiah does is he lays out three declarations about what the Lord is going to do when he returns and makes all things right. A day of the Lord, a day of judgment, a day of which when the Lord comes, all of this is fulfilled in Jesus. And what Isaiah is doing here in Isaiah 25 is he is comforting God's people. He's comforting them. He's saying things are going to get really bad for you, but God is not done with you. He's not going to to allow all of these bad things to continue to happen to you. There's going to be a day when the oppressors, when difficult things that are happening in your life is going to come to an end. The Lord is going to make all things right. We know that to be through and fulfilled through Christ himself. And he declares these things. And I want to encourage you, as Isaiah is encouraging God's people in the short term, as the Lord is encouraging us in the long term, that when Jesus Christ returns, 
when he returns, and he will, he's going to first of all bring an end to tyranny. He brings an end to tyranny. Do you notice what Isaiah says there in the first part of Isaiah 25? That's, what he, that's where he's going. He's speaking and talking about tyranny. He's talking about this oppression that exists there. But before he gets to that, what does he do in Isaiah 25 verse 1? He breaks out in praise. He breaks out in worship. What does he say? Look at your Bibles. Don't look at me. Look at your Bibles. What does the Lord say in verse 1? He says, oh Lord, you are my God. I will what? Exalt you. I will praise your name for you have done wonderful things. He's thinking about the Lord. His eyes and his focus are on the Lord and all that he has done in the midst of this difficulty, in the midst of this season of, of, of challenging times in their lives. He worships the Lord. He begins in this attitude and this praise of worship. He is thinking about all of the wonderful acts that the Lord has done. He is thinking about all the ways in which God has delivered his people. You see, the Lord does these things, and he does these things in powerful ways. How does he do this? Why is he even breaking out in praise? Because of what Gil Davidson just read a moment ago for us. Because in Isaiah 25 comes after what? Isaiah what? Nine. We just sang about it a moment ago. We just heard it from the floor, read from Scripture. I want to remind you again what it says. The Lord does this, and he brings an end to tyranny through our Lord Jesus Christ. Isaiah chapter 9, let me read for you just two verses once again. Think about this prophecy. For, us, for, for to us a child is born. This is Isaiah 9, verse 6 and 7. To us a son is given. Who's the son? Who's the child? Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder... And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of, of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it, to uphold it with justice and with righteousness and with the time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts, of armies will do this. Not might do this, will do this. Understand this this morning, church. Listen, we need to be encouraged by this and understand that that prophecy was hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years before Jesus was ever born, and he fulfilled every single ounce, every single part of that prophecy. Who does that? Only God. Only God. Be encouraged by that. You see, what Isaiah is doing here is he's reminding his people and reminding us, and God is reminding us that the Lord Jesus Christ will bring an end to tyranny. It's through the king. It's through the king of kings, the Lord of lords. It's through Jesus Christ himself. And this has been his plan all along, is to rescue the world from tyranny. He's, his, his plan all along has been to rescue us from tyranny. There's two, two kind of pictures that he paints there. Look at it with me in that first half of this, of this chapter. These pictures that he paints there for the people and for us is first and foremost this ruined city in verse 2. Do you see that? For you have made a city a heap, the fortified city a ruin, the foreigner's palace is a city no more. It will never be rebuilt. Now, now look at verse 4. It's not just a ruined city, but he paints this other picture of a place of refuge. For you have made a stronghold to the poor, a stronghold to the needy in his distress, a shelter from the storm and a shade from the heat. For the breath of the ruthless is like a storm against a wall, like heat in a dry place. He paints this picture of a ruined city. He's not saying, he's not talking about one city. He's going to talk about all cities here. 
all world cultures and all areas and places across our planet that are rebellious against God and reject God, that have this false and bleed into this false sense of security, will come to an end. That's what he's saying. But then he paints that picture in verse 4 of not just a ruined city, but a what? A place of refuge. You notice the two metaphors that he uses there? The two metaphors that he uses are very clear, and it is a storm and beating sun, the beating sun that is beating down on you. And then he goes and leads it to understand that there is a place of refuge, right? This is how he describes tyranny. It is like a storm, tyranny and oppression in every area of our life. It is not just like a storm, it's like the beating sun. If you've been in August and walking around outside in the middle of August where there is no wind and there are no clouds, and you're walking around in South Texas or Southeast Texas or in Livingston, Texas, feel it. You can feel it, can't you? Close your eyes. Aren't you glad it's December? But that's how Isaiah paints this picture of oppression, of tyranny. It's like the beating sun. There is no relief from it. It's like a storm. There is no relief from it. Oh, but there is a relief from it. Do you see where Isaiah goes here? In Isaiah 25, because not only does he paint these pictures and he shows us these metaphors, but, but look at what he says, verse 4, verse 5, you subdue the noise of the foreigners as heat by the shade of a cloud, so the song of the ruthless is put down. The Lord is the one who brings an end to tyranny. In this world, you and I will experience and face tyranny. Just think about it in our own culture. Think about it in our own nation today. Let's just use one small sliver of tyranny in our culture today. We live in a culture right now of death. We have a culture of death in our country and around the world. Just in the issue of abortion, just in the issue of just that one small issue, that one small area of our culture, we really, really, really love abortion in our country. We really love it. You know, our, our nation's really willing to fight for it. We're really, really, really in love with that issue in our nation. Not us, but in our nation. And we live in a nation that is willing to pass laws and go against our Christian conscience and make us do certain things that may be sinful and break our Christian conscience all for the sake of following the law. Listen, we live in a world and we live in a culture. We live in, 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 in areas of, of, of oppression and tyranny all of the time. But you see, that's not the end of the story. So we fight against those things and we stand up against those things because what sometimes our government, sometimes people are going to put you in a position of you're either going to follow the Lord and follow him with your life and not sin, or you're going to break the law or you're going to go against the grain and, and alienate everybody around you. What are you going to do? We live in a world of tyranny. God's people lived in a world of tyranny at times. What were they willing to do, right? Well, we're called to praise his name at the forefront of chapter 25. We're called to praise his name. Why? Because the Lord cares. Listen, the Lord cares about you. He cares about me. He cares about us. He cares about his people. He's very engaged and involved in the lives of his people. And one day, the Lord Jesus Christ will come, and he will bring an end 
to all of the tyranny, and he will make all things right. What do you do in the meantime? Well, you come to the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus told us in Matthew chapter 11. Matthew 11, verse 20, verse 25. I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, and such was your gracious will, Jesus said. All things have been handed over to me by my Father, and no one knows the, the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, to whom the Son chooses to reveal himself. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you, what? Rest, you know it. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Oh, there's tyranny. There's tyranny all around us. There's tyranny in your life. There's tyranny in my life. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the one who brings rest. He's the one who brings us rest now. He's the one who is in the future going to bring an end to tyranny. I'll tell you what Isaiah does where he goes next. You see, you need to understand that the Lord is not only going to bring an end to tyranny, but he's going to bring an end to darkness and death. Man, think about what Isaiah is saying to the northern kingdom, to the southern kingdom. The Assyrians are coming. The Babylonians are coming, but that's not the end of the story. Because the Lord is going to eventually, on the day of the Lord, and the day of judgment, is going to bring an end to darkness. He's going to bring an end to death. I mean, look where he goes there in verse 6. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, and then on and on he goes. This is, listen, the blessing of the gospel, the blessing of the beautiful picture of the good news of Jesus Christ. He paints this picture of a mountain. We read it a moment ago, and we see it there in verse 6, at the very beginning of verse 6, on this mountain, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies. He's painting a picture of a mountain with a great feast. So picture in, picture in your mind, this picture of a big mountain. On the top of the mountain, there is this big, large buffet, this big, large feast. And this is how Isaiah is painting a picture of the Lord who is among them, who is present among them, who is going to do this work among them. Listen, notice the details of how he describes it. On this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, a rich food full of marrow, an aged wine well-refined, and he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. Look at it, the veil that is spread over all nations, not you, not just me, but all nations. He will swallow up what? Death forever. Forever. There is a veil over the nations of the world. There is a veil over Livingston, Texas. There is a veil over Polk County. There is a veil over Texas. There is a veil over the United States. There is a veil over the entire, all the nations of the world. And it's a veil of death. It's a veil of darkness, of spiritual darkness. Scraping to try to figure out life, try to figure out how to make things right. And I'm eaten up with this addiction or this way of living and I cannot figure out how to break this. Is this all there is to life? These questions go through our minds and there is this, this understanding of, of darkness that we all live within. But you see the picture that Isaiah is painting for the people of God and what God is painting a picture for us is this. God himself is the master of the feast. You see it? The Lord himself is the master of the feast. 
He sets the table. The guests are invited. And who are they? Are they Jews only? No, they are Jews and Gentiles all. I want you to notice the word all is used five times. Church, listen, this should encourage us. Because there is no one who is too far gone from the Lord, too far gone from the good news of Jesus Christ in our lives, in your life, and in my life. He's saying all, all are welcome to the feast, all are welcome to the table. He's the Lord of the feast. He's the one who sets the table. He's the one who engages in our problem, and the great problem in our life is darkness and death. There is this veil that is there. The provision is provided by the Lord. It's rich, and everything is the best. Doesn't Jesus Christ promise us abundant life here on earth when we receive him? Doesn't Jesus Christ promise us not only abundant life, but eternal life if we receive him, the promise of the future of eternal life? He does. And what an encouraging word for us. But when the king brings the feast or returns, he brings the feast, he also brings an end to all forms of darkness. I mean, that's what verse 7 says. We read it a moment ago. You will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples. You see, the, the, in the Old Testament, and when you read the Old Testament, what you come to realize is there was this problem in the Old Testament that you read about, and you read about the people of God, and they had this problem that they could not shake. It was this problem of this covering, this veil upon their lives that they could not shake until Jesus came. It was the whole point. The whole point was in, in the Old Testament was to point to the New Testament, to the coming of Jesus Christ, who could make all things right. You and I can't shake death. You and I cannot shake the reality that you and I are cut off from God because of that one little white sin, white lie in our lives, or sin in our life. On our best day, we're cut off from the Lord. On our very best moral day, we're still cut off. But you see, the good news of Jesus is that he came into the world to swallow up death. He came and did it. He did the work for you. He did the work for me. And so the Lord is the one who brings an end to darkness. He's the one who brings an end to death. What an encouraging word for us is the majority of the world is sitting in darkness. I mean, I think about what Paul says in, in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15. Listen to this verse. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. Rather... Uh, four, four verse four, rather. It says, in their case, the God, little g, of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. The songs that we've just been singing this morning, I mean, how we've been worshiping the Lord this morning, fall on deaf ears to those who've not given their lives to Jesus yet. They're not seeing glory to Jesus. They're just observing it. They're listening to it. They're watching it. But it hasn't penetrated their hearts yet, right? 
until you give your life to Christ, and then everything changes. That veil is destroyed. Death is swallowed up. Isn't that what Paul tells us? Death is swallowed up in victory. Isaiah, I'm sorry, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 54 says, death wears your sting, right? Death has been swallowed up in victory through the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, the Lord brings an end, not just to tyranny, but to darkness and to death. But Isaiah is not done. And he declares to his people there, to God's people there, and God declares to us that the Lord is going to bring an end ultimately to pride. I mean, look at verse 9. This is where he goes in verse 9. And he talks and speaks to the issue of pride. He says in verse 9, It will be said on that day, Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. For the hand of the Lord will rest on this mountain, and Moab shall be trampled down to his place as snow is trampled down in the dung hill, and he will spread, across his, spread out his hands in the midst of it as a swimmer spreads the hands out to, to, to swim. But the Lord will lay low his pompous, what, pride together with the skill of his hands in the midst of all of this oppression and difficulty. On that day, and on the day Jesus Christ returns, the covering of death is removed, and we will sing the song of verse 9. We will sing that song. Behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us, that the Lord, we have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. We have been waiting for him. Isn't that what we do when we pull out all the decorations and we start singing the songs and we get together in our parties? We're waiting for Jesus Christ to return. And we get to sing verse 9 when Jesus Christ does return. And everything comes, and everything is made right. And it is for those who are before, it is those who are after, it is those for us today. And that is why we sing joy unspeakable. Because we remember that, that, that let us be glad. We remember the idea that Jesus Christ is coming again. Nothing will compare to that. We wait patiently for that day, but it will come. And it's going to be a time of rejoicing. And over, we have this final blow over human pride. You struggle with pride, I struggle with pride, we all struggle with pride. But for those who are eaten up with pride in our world today and in our lives today, they will come to an end to all forms of pride. Isaiah uses Moab here. Moab was a, maybe Isaiah is using Moab here just as an example of pride and of, because Moab was an enemy of God's people, but it was an example of what was to come. Watch what happens there in verse 10 again. We read it a moment ago. Moab shall be trampled down in this place. His straw is trampled down in a dunghill. Pride will come to an end. While you and I are enjoying a feast, the enemies, our enemies with a prideful heart, will be humbled and brought low. Brought low. See, when it comes to King Jesus, there is... A Jesus who is our liberator. He is our liberator. He is the one who frees us from all things. In this world, there is going to be chaos. Listen, church, there is going to be chaos. There will always be chaos. It will not get better. There's your good news for the day. It will not get better. There will be chaos. There will be trials. We discover this as we get older. This brokenness, this rebellion 
towards the things of God. Our hearts are occupied with all kinds of things that we pursue in our lives. We grow self-reliant at times, not dependent upon the Lord. But the good news for all of us is that Christ has overcome all of that. And if you're here today and you've surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, then Jesus Christ has overcome all of that in your life. You may struggle with some of that sin and that areas where you drift back to your old life and your old ways, but Jesus Christ has overcome all of that. And he will come again to bring liberation. He will liberate us from tyranny. He will liberate us from darkness and death once and for all. He will liberate us from pride. You sang about it a moment ago. You may not remember it. Your kindly rule has shattered and broken the curse of sin's tyranny. My life is hidden neath heaven's shadow. Your crimson flood covers me. Your crimson flood covers me. So we sing, glory, glory, we have no other king. But Jesus, Lord of all, raise the anthem. Our loudest praises we sing. We crown him Lord of all, or we crown him Lord of all. You see, Jesus Christ is our liberator. But he doesn't just liberate us from stuff and from mean people in our lives. He liberates us from the real enemy in our hearts, right? And we know this. What is the real enemy in our hearts? It's sin. He has liberated us from those things. That's the chief enemy in my life. That's the chief enemy in your life. That's the chief enemy in all of our lives, this tyranny of sin that has broken us has brought us to a place where we are cut off from the Lord, but the Lord brings about liberation. Jesus in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 says this, the spirit of the Lord is upon me about himself because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Jesus Christ came to free you and I from sin. That's the chief tyranny in our life. That's the chief problem in all of our hearts. And the only way that we can be freed from that tyranny, the only way we can be freed from that is to turn away from ourselves and start to choose to follow him with our lives to obey him, to surrender our will for the sake of his, to, for his will in our lives, to trade all of our years here on earth for all the years in eternity, is to start following him, is to repent of our sin and start following God with our hearts. That's what Jesus wants to do. You don't have to wait for that. You can do that and experience that right now. Your eyes closed and your heads bowed and your eyes closed. Listen, I just want to ask you this morning, do you know him? Is he your Savior and your Lord? Our worship team is going to lead us in a song this morning, and they're going to come. When they lead us in that song, we're going to stand and sing this great song. I love it. They're going to lead us in that song today. And I'll be here at the front. If you want to come and you want to talk to someone about giving your life to Jesus, you come and I'll talk to you. I'll pray with you. Be happy to do that. Maybe God is speaking to you about joining our church. 
turning away from an area of sin or struggle in your life, listen, I'd love to pray with you, talk to you about any decision that you want to make. Maybe God is speaking to you about baptism. Maybe God wants you to be baptized and you've realized that and you've recognized that. Well, I'll be here at the front and you come and we'll, uh, we'll talk about that together. We'll pray over that issue and those issues together, okay? Let's pray. Father, thank you this morning for your goodness. Thank you this morning for the truth of your word. Thank you for how you liberate us through Jesus. And thank you for that word this morning. God, would you speak to us now as we worship you and uh, respond to you. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Won't you stand with me? Let's sing. And you have the courage to come this morning.